Hi, I'm Candace Michelle, and this is Our Community. We've been on a small hiatus for a couple of weeks, so it's nice to be back. I hope you've all had a chance to listen to the excellent KCIW news special that Lori Gallo Stoddard did on the dysfunction at the county offices. If you haven't caught it yet, you can download the podcast on our website, kciw.org. We've also posted the backup documentation so you can read it for yourselves. It's quite interesting. Um, And I I keep thinking that some astute writer is going to turn all of our shenanigans (laughs) into a sitcom. I think I would recognize us. And speaking of shenanigans, our library has seen a couple of interesting public displays in the past month or so. The latest taking place at their board meeting on August 12th, I think it was. My guest today is Julie Rutherford, director of the Chetco Community Public Library, here to talk about this latest brouhaha restricting access to certain books based on content. Hi, Julie, and welcome to the show. Hi, Candace. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's so good to see your smiling face. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So first, let me tell you how very much I appreciate our beautiful library and the great work that you and your staff do to make it a warm, welcoming environment for all of us. Thank you so much. I was at the library today and I I was dropping off a small piece of equipment that I had neglected to give you. (laughs) Um, And I was talking to the gentleman at the desk and I, I want to say his name was Charles. We have a Charlie. Yep. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Maybe that was Charlie then. Yep. Um, And I was telling him about the, my encounter with the library when my husband and I were up here looking at houses and deciding that we wanted to live in Brookings. And uh, we had made an offer on on a home and we were on our way out of town and I saw the sign pointing to the library and I said, oh, Phil, I need to see the library because I just have always loved libraries. So we went down to the library and I'm like, oh, what a nice building this is. And, And I walk in and as I'm walking in, I hear the librarian behind the desk saying, oh, Joe, I forgot your last name there for a minute. <laughs> and I thought, bingo. <laughs> I want to live town. in, right? I want to live in a community where the librarian knows my name. That's amazing. And that, that just really set the tone for me. So if anybody is looking to blame somebody for me living here, it's the library. <laughs> I will take that blame. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't you tell us a little bit about the history of the library. It was in full swing by the time I got here in 2004. Yeah. And you've been here longer than I have. I actually moved here in 2018. And prior Mm -hmm. to that, the director for many years was Susanna Fernandez, who Mm -hmm. is um, a beloved member of this community was. And um, so I, all I know, you know, the library has been around forever. It started in the, I believe central building, there was uh, some version of the library that had been started by, you know, a local group. Um, mm-hmm. Then it got a, some funding from the city and moved into the central building and then had a building up the hill for quite a while that is now, right. I believe, um, the preschool. Um, so then in the 80s, the library decided to become a special district and that went on the ballot and passed in the late 80s, I believe. 
there was no funding passed for that um, until later when they decided they needed to build a new building. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was part of the uh, impetus for the funding to be passed way back when. So we've been a special district since I think uh, a special funded special district Mm -hmm. since the 90s or so. So, yeah, it's a beautiful building. This building we're in now is completed in 93 under Susanna's direction and Mm -hmm. is uh, often called the jewel of Brookings. Um, People say that a lot. And it is a beautiful building. Absolutely. And it's just gone through a renovation. I mean, Mm -hmm. because you you guys were basically that building was closed for a year. Almost a year. Yeah. Yeah. So, like I said, the building was completed in 93. And that doesn't seem, you know, it's still called the new library, but that is almost 30 years. And so we had the same carpet, we had a lot of leaks and um, a lot of electricity using light fixtures. Um, so we, we decided it was time the the prior library boards had been really wise in the in the investment of funds that had been donated and um, extra funding that they had knowing that at some point, you know, you're going to have building issues. Um, so we started out talking about the carpet and when you are replacing giant rolls of sheet carpet for 16,000 square feet, <laughs> then it's like, okay, you got to move all the shelves. You got to move all the books. If we're going to do this, let's just do it. Yes. Um, so we upgraded all the lights and, you know, did the, did the full renovation, uh, which is, I, I think amazing. I'm very proud of it. And and most of the feedback we get is very good that we were oh, we accomplished beautiful. what we wanted to, mm-hmm. which was keep the same library. You know, we're mm-hmm. still serving this community. When we wanted this, we didn't want to get rid of all of the warm wood tones and right. and those sorts of things, but to make it a little bit brighter and airier mm-hmm. and more welcoming. And I think I think we did that um, while saving well, on electricity and doing yeah. a few other things that needed to be done in the background. And and definitely the brightness really impressed me as I walked through the doors that first time yeah. um, a few weeks ago, months ago. <laughs> when did you reopen? <laughs> we reopened um, the first Monday in May. I think it was May 2nd. So it's okay. been a few months now. So it has yeah. been a few months. Yeah. My, how time flies when you're having fun, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah. I remember the first time I walked in, I went, whoa, right? Wow, Great. the brightness yeah. is just... It's exquisite. And, yes. you know, I'm noticing as we are getting older that I need more light. Mm. I just I just do. I don't yeah. see as well in the dimness anymore. And the, and the lights in the back, especially in the adult stacks where we have those really yes. tall stacks, um, the light back there was lighting that was encased in metal boxes that didn't really throw very well. Mm-hmm. And so we had started to actually convert those to brighter LED lights. Mm-hmm. Um and then it was just going to be such an ordeal to do them all. And it really wasn't making that big of a difference. So that's why we got the uh, the new bright ones, which do kind of illuminate everything. I've gotten oh, a few. Great. It's too bright in here. <laughs> Complaints, yeah, well, that's but right. it works for, for us older eyes. Then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, so our older eyes really appreciate being Good. able to see. And, Good. you know, particularly like if you're looking at, and you're trying to find something on the bottom shelf, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, some of us are not as agile as we used to be. You right. Know, and sometimes some of us have to actually sit on the floor. <laughs> yeah. We are actually working towards getting some stools and things like that because oh, back idea. there, especially, we go up kind of high and the, yeah. the typical library stools 
don't seem super safe to stand on, especially if you have any balance or mobility right. issues. And so right. we we just got one that has uh, handles. It's kind of a right. step stool, and we'll, we'll get some chairs for, yeah. for sitting down looking at the low stacks. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I know because if I'm like crouched, pretty soon my my legs start to quiver. <laughs> like yeah, it's hard don't... to get back up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wasn't even talking about getting back up. I'm talking about staying in that. Just stay position. in there, right? Yeah, it's really rough. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, the political climate has definitely changed in the last six years or so. Sure. Um, you know, the the country as a whole, it certainly has changed, and and our our own little town, um, it's become much more polarized, um, more reactionary. People have a tendency to be less civil to each other, um, particularly mm -hmm. on Facebook and uh, in public meetings. I've actually been um, really kind of sad to hear some of the comments that are made and and how they're made. Um, you know, it just yeah, it's not it's, great. It is a totally different. It's amazing and you say it really has been a huge difference. And I don't know, um, that's such a big conversation in terms of just our country becoming more divided. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it trickles down even to our, our small community, unfortunately. So it's it's really easy when you get upset about something to give in to your emotion uh, instead of pausing or or considering other viewpoints and and i think it's it's very easy for that then to escalate into something that is kind of ugly um unfortunately and and it happens quickly um mm. and i somebody that i and i can't remember who it was now um a long time ago said to me don't react respond because reacting is what you do almost instinctively right and there's no thought processes going on when you do that. You're, it's an emotional reaction. Whereas if you respond, it means that you actually took 30 seconds to, to take a breath and thought about what you were going to say before you said it, or maybe even thought about what you just heard someone else say a, a second time. Because maybe that first time that you heard it, it, triggered something in you but but maybe the second time if you run it over in your head you'll you'll hear their truth behind it and and won't feel like you have to react you actually can respond yeah and i think that's such an important um action that needs to be done if we are ever going to get out of this polarization but it's also you know I think the culture currently gives more permission to that reactionary, uh, you know, that way of responding to things. It's not yeah. taking a beat and thinking about your, you know, your emotions about that issue, the other person's emotions, trying to be kind, trying to think through the consequences of what will happen if you say what's your gut reaction tells you yeah, to say exactly um but it's it's hard and it takes an, a specific effort to not do that and i i think that that's going to be key if we can kind of bring people back together that we encourage that but i also i all understand you know when you have a belief that you hold very dear and some information comes in trying to challenge that you have this 
cognitive dissonance in your mind that, okay, here's where I am, here's where they are. I can't admit that I'm wrong about something. That's not easy to do for people unless you are really focused and saying, I can be wrong, and that's something you strive for. Uh, then your knee-jerk reaction is going to be to defend yourself and to be a little aggressive about it, probably. And it and it gets, I think, even more heated when it involves things like religion or um, sure. your political party or you know freedom or uh, the Second Amendment. I mean, it it it's like if the issue itself has heat around it, or yeah. if it involves that kind of thing, then, you know, we, I, I think that we just have a tendency to not be rational, that we immediately go to that, that emotional position where you, you have to be right, because so much of your life is kind of built around that principle you know if if you're a person of faith your life let's say you're a practicing person mm-hmm. of faith your life is is actually constructed around your faith so if you feel like your faith is being challenged in some way shape or form you're going to react emotionally absolutely absolutely I mean, when when the beliefs that are being discussed or attacked are foundational to who you are yeah. Then that is where that that emotion comes from, and I get it. You know, I I I am a Christian. I grew up in a very religious household where we went to church three times a week, and then for gospel meetings and vacation Bible school every day. Um, wow. I I know. You know, I know this mind frame. Mm-hmm. Um, and and when someone believes that salvation depends on agreement on these particular issues, then there is not really a limit to what they are willing to do to save themselves, their families, their loved ones, and to try to to proselytize and convert people to that status as well. You know, if it's literally a matter of life and death to them, uh, that's why it's so emotional. And that's that's difficult. And, and And you can't really nor do I want to talk people out of those beliefs, per se. Uh, So you have to try to find common ground, you have to point out the Bible verses that, you know, that we are responsible to keep other Christians um, aligned with the faith. But there Mm. even is a verse that says, you know, people who are outside the faith, that's not my concern. You know, I'm I'm worried about when you're judging people who don't live by the same uh, foundational principles that you do, you're you're never going to convince them. And that goes in both directions. So le- and, learning to have those two things in our society yep. um, without it turning into something ugly or aggressive or violent right. is the goal. Right. And it, it isn't necessarily true that just because you don't consider yourself religious, that that automatically makes you a bad person. It doesn't mean that you are necessarily without ethics or without concern for your, your fellow humans or, right. you know, without kindness. I mean, you know, you, you can, 
you can still have all of those qualities and yet not consider yourself religious or Absolutely. belong to a specific faith. So, yeah. and there's, you know, all the spirituality. I mean, there, there are so many different roads for that, that, you know, I, it, it's yeah, concerning I, when. I absolutely. Know. And I think, you know, this is a, such a lofty conversation because it goes back to the founding of our country and our constitution and these really base things about America and, and the American way of life. And of course, we all know that freedom of religion was one of the biggest issues in the founding of this country. Uh, and it's interesting to see people who tend to be constitutionalists uh, kind of let that go in this conversation. So there's this pulling between we need to follow the Constitution, we need to, you know, to to cling to that, but also we can't let this not be a Christian nation. Um, right. Even so, though it was not founded as such. Uh, exactly. I mean, yeah. uh, because of the times, the majority of the founders were Christian, probably, and were doing it to protect their uh, desire to worship the Christian God how they chose to. Right. But if we want to maintain that freedom and not infringe on these things here and there, then we we have to allow it in the other direction too. Unfortunately, yeah. and and yeah. freedom is not free. That's been right. my phrase for a while, and it's yep. we have to make sacrifices in order to have the freedom that we want as well. And and sometimes what that means is you don't get things exactly the way you want them. Right. I mean, you just you just don't. You know, you can speak your opinion, and you can vote how you need to vote, yep. and you can um, attempt to influence legislation, but hopefully kindly. And when yes. we need to learn how to be a uh, country of um, not sore losers, <laughs> right, 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 exactly. Yeah. And and the reality is that if you actually are having a conversation with somebody who is of a different mind than you are about something. You know, the reality is that you're not going to make any headway in terms of them understanding your perspective or you understanding theirs if you're yelling at each other or saying mean things to each other, calling right. each other names. I mean, that that is not. Then you're in a defensive position, not a not a listening, growing Absolutely. position. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and my first library venture um, – I was actually an undergrad at Ohio University, and I was thinking about going into libraries as a career path. And so I was, I knew the librarian at the university there and asked him, hey, can I work for free for you for a while? You know, let's create mm -hmm. an internship so I can see if I want to do this. And so he did. And I, I worked with him for a year. And his big, he had like a special collection, and it was on religious tolerance, which was mm. really an interesting uh, thing for an academic library. And mm -hmm. he was a Jewish man. And I and he and I and I'm a Christian woman. And we had wonderful conversations because we could set aside our differences and yep. just learn about each other. Yeah. But that religious tolerance message has kind of stuck with me. And that's, mm -hmm. you know, it's not that we we're not trying to convince each other of who's right. Tolerance means the ability for us to have differing beliefs, but still coexist. Yes. In a neighborly way. Yeah. You know? Exactly. Exactly. So that's yeah. the goal. And I yeah. hope we can get there as a community. I don't know that we can change the whole country, but uh, hopefully right. for, for Brookings and Curry County, we can we can get there. Well, I, I'm still a little surprised, though, about the issue of restricting access to certain books based on content. 
I yes. watched the video of the last library board meeting a few days ago. And the thing that jumped out at me was the willingness of Second Amendment defenders to infringe on others' First Amendment rights. <laughs> I mean, it just—it seemed like, yeah. like, really, don't, don't you see, don't you see the dichotomy there? What, well, I think that's yeah. it. I think they, I think they don't, and I think that the, the effort to censor the content, and they may take umbrage with that word censor because they don't think they believe that's what they're doing. Right. But to remove content that has the potential to harm children, that is the underlying complaint and message about all of this, that if a child stumbles upon information about sexuality or the body or homosexuality or about anything before they're ready, that it will scar them, that it will damage them. And so that that idea, if you believe that, if you believe you do not want your children to be exposed to that before you are ready to be the one to do it, that um, that that's just, it's hard to convince people out of that. And, you know, of course, I feel differently. I believe knowledge is power, even for children, right. that having access to that information from librarians who curate the collection to make mm -hmm. sure that the information there is accurate and appropriate and educational and what it needs to be, uh, or is even, you know, providing a information and exposure to world and lifestyles that they wouldn't normally know about. Right. But if you feel like your goal is to shelter your child, to keep them away from the LGBTQ agenda, quote unquote, or to keep them away from um, understanding sexuality before a certain age, then we're not going to agree on that. Uh, you know, we're not going to agree on the content that is appropriate. And uh, so then you have to agree, what is a public library? What What right. is our role in society? Uh, what is your role as a parent to a child coming to a public library? Right. So I'm I'm still hopeful that we can all uh, come to an agreement, but it's been difficult. And I know that since the meeting, you know, that, that decision by the board was not sufficient for many. So we'll, we'll see how things progress. But, you know, it, it, it seems so obvious to me and, and maybe I, I don't know, maybe because I hear people talking all the time, but it, mm -hmm. it seems so obvious that, you know, if you want to be the one who instructs your children about sex, if you want to be the one who does that first, you better get after it because it, it, they're learning earlier and earlier and earlier. And yes. that's just the way the world is. You're, you're not going to prevent that. You're not going to prevent their friends from saying something to them. Certainly. You're yeah. not going to prevent their older brother or their older sister or their cousin or their next door neighbor. You're not going to prevent that. It you happens. Can't. So yeah, you have to decide and, I, and it is a parenting decision absolutely yes. how much how much information you want to give your child. And unfortunately, as you say, there are go they're going to be exposed to things before they're ready. And now I just my my sister's husband, my brother-in-law is a chaplain. Um, and 
their sons go to private Christian schools back in Ohio. Mm -hmm. And um, one of my nephew's friends showed him pretty hardcore pornography on his little tablet one day. Mm -hmm. And my nephew, uh, fortunately, my sister's pretty open and he knew body parts and he knew Mm -hmm. things, but it was still pretty startling for Mm -hmm. him. Mm -hmm. But if a parent can prepare their child for this world, say you will see things, you know, and, and let them know this is not what healthy sexuality looks like. Here's what you call the body parts. Here's the respect that your future partner will deserve. You know, yep. it is, yep. it, and it's an uncomfortable thing to do, especially if your inclination is to shelter um, rather than inform, you know. Or and, if you yourself think that sex is somehow. Perhaps, not, exactly. Not clean it's something, or whatever, yeah. right? And it's just then about it the really comfortability. Yeah, yeah, the comfortability with right. being open about that, which is uncomfortable, even for most in the best of circumstances, but right. it, it is necessary. And and I, you know, people keep talking about how we're grooming children. And that's obviously the most difficult thing to hear about all of this is that they think that I or library staff or the library board have nefarious intentions, or that we are standing by while we know these books are being used improperly to do that sort of thing. I had one person tell me that if if and when a child is pulled into the public bathroom and raped here, I am going to be the responsible one for oh, that. Dear. Because of the book Gender Queer. Oh, uh, was, goodness. Um, so, did they say raped by whom? <laughs> uh, a, a pedophile. It was. It was, you are encouraging pedophiles in this space. And if they see that and there are children nearby, oh. then you can't control what they're going to do. And so, I mean, it's the wow. fear. It's the fear. Yeah. That is the drive for most of this. It's, it's yeah. fear of that happening. Uh, dear God, I fear that too. I don't want that to happen. Of course not. I don't. I also am very certain that I'm not encouraging it. <laughs> so yes. yeah. um, it's been hard convers- to take the personal. Yeah. And, and that's where the, the conversation from a parent to a child comes in. You know, right. if if you've got a child who is who, for instance, has seen come across one of these books and and has questions, and you can answer those questions without putting a spin on it, without making it ugly or dirty or, you know, making it forbidden, all of that stuff. If you can just explain it, Mm -hmm. there will be no appetite for that. Yeah. And if you can, you you can do it in age appropriate stages. I'm not saying expose your five-year-old to everything there is to know about sexuality as an adult, but they should know what body parts are called. You know, there was a story someone was recently telling me about a child who was talking to a teacher, I believe, and made a comment about how her uncle ate her cookie. Oh, no. You know, and so then it just, oh, yeah, you made cookies. Lovely. You kind of gloss over that. Um, But that was what the family called uh, a vagina. (laughs) And so this child was, you know, that was a clue that no one could pick up on because you're using these euphemisms. But if this five or six-year-old child had known their body parts, then saying, you know, my uncle touched my vagina would have obviously yes. triggered the assistance that was needed. Exactly. And so that's not a dirty word. Penis is not a dirty word. Right. Of course, you know, we're, we all have 
these childish parts of us that might want to chuckle at those words sometimes, but we need to demystify that. And and that is the way that we prevent children from being abused. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, I can draw on one of my experiences as a child. I couldn't have been, I couldn't have been much older than four, maybe five. Um, and I was playing and we lived in an apartment building and I had neighbor kids that I played with and we were all out in the woods. And, you know, there was this one time when there was this little girl laying on the ground and one of the boys had pulled her pants down and was checking out all of the paraphernalia and stuff. <laughs> so seriously, folks, I didn't know what he was looking at. I mean, I didn't know what all right. of that was, but I was exposed to it. Now, mm -hmm. if my mother or my father had sat me down and said, okay, this is what you got, you know, this is vagina, blah, 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 I would have been much better informed. And Absolutely. And as a child, when you yes. say, you know, you need to differentiate between a child's shoulder and and their genitals yes. so that they know this is not for people. If anyone right. tells you to keep a secret, if anyone touches you here, right. here's the language to use. Here's what you do here. You tell me that doesn't, it's not the same thing as a hug from an aunt, you exactly. know, or so, so these educational things are very important and it's, you know, just a minor part of the reason why I fight to keep this information in the libraries. Well, that's, what a library is for, isn't it? Right. I mean, it, it really is for the ability to find information. That's absolutely. And that's and our for. culture, I think, thrives on people knowing more. The more that you can be exposed to other cultures, the more that you can understand the walk that other people are going through, whether or not it's a way of life that you subscribe to that produces empathy and it produces care and it leads to us being more tolerant of one another. So it's it's all wrapped up into one issue. But when you are trying to control the narrative that every agency and organization in your life or in your child's life jives with your own, if you're trying to make everything align with your own life view, then we become more homogenous and more narrow-minded and less able to have sympathy. Well, so. just to say nothing of the fact that you will ultimately fail because exactly. you can't, right? I mean, there you are, can't. we're exactly, we, we are all so different. Even if we come from similar backgrounds, look similarly, we, we are all so very, very different. And, and to think that there is any kind of homogenizing thing that can happen. I mean, come on, people. Right. I mean, just, we don't want it. I don't no, want it. I don't Even, no. I don't want everyone to agree with me. What a no. boring world that would be. I know. I know. And the amazing thing to me is that, you know, the people who are angry with you or who feel like you're doing damage to their children, they really don't understand that it's exactly 180 out from that. You are working so hard to protect those children. You are yes. working so hard to make them better citizens and better people and, you know, yes. in increase and, and their knowledge. Aside from helping individual children in this community, like I feel very strongly about guarding the First Amendment and 
and that protecting our society as a whole and protecting the future of our country's children. If, if the more yes. we chip away at that, the the worse it's going to be, I, I think, for this country. And that sounds very lofty and high-minded, but I, I firmly believe it. I think that's a mark of a society in decline is when you stop allowing new ideas in. And when you look at the history of restricted books, I mean, there are things on there like The Diary of Anne Frank. Yes. I mean, come on. Really? I know, it's rough. And The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison is always there. You know, you, you have all the classics, Huckleberry Finn, because it uses the N-word. And, you know, and there have been challenges and, and book issues on both sides of that. Um, it's not just, you know, conservative people doing mm -hmm. that. It, it mm -hmm. tends to kind of cycle through in history mm -hmm. who's doing the challenging. Uh, and that, you know, with Huckleberry Finn, that is using the N-word. It's trying to remove that from our culture to stop normalizing it. That that was more of a liberal side right. push of my understanding. So no one's innocent of of all of this in this no. whole thing. No. Uh, but yeah, we can't. I don't remember where we started with that, but we really. I, I it's so important not to cut those those things out because they are a part of our history and a part of exactly. who we are, and we have to understand them exactly. And you know, yeah, we don't use the N word anymore. Those of us who. Right. you know, care about other people's feelings, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but, but yes, it was a part of our history. And, mm -hmm. and you don't slam, Recently. right? And you don't slam the door on that. Because if you, you know, what, what they say, the, those who don't understand history are doomed to, to repeat, repeat it. it. I mean, yeah. come on. Yeah. Do we really want to do that again? Please yeah. no, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Please no. Exactly. Yeah. So you know, it it would just be really nice if if people could just kind of take a breath, you know, and realize that that you and the library staff are not evil people that are <laughs> looking to prey on you know innocent children. I mean, it, nothing could be farther from the truth right. about that. Exactly. Um. I, there was a, a petition, I think, that they had circulated, gotten like 400 and some signatures, I think. Yes, that is correct. Um, um, and, and what did they want? Basically, what did, what did the folks who signed that petition want? So the petition that was going around was um, a request to move the uh, materials out of reach of children, I think. Let me pull up the exact mm -hmm. language of it. But the we request all sexually explicit materials be clearly marked as sex education and relocated out of the reach of prepubescent children in the children's department. So uh, I get that doesn't sound terribly unreasonable. No, um, except prepubescent is uh, what? What do you consider puberty? Yeah, 12? that's that's the question. Because you're and, way the horse is way out of the barn. I exactly. Know. Yeah. And you really it's it does. It's starting younger these yeah, days, puberty, yeah. particularly yeah. for girls. Yeah. Um, so 10, nine or 10 is yeah. fairly wow. common to be entering into that. Right. And, um, so basically, we're talking toddlers and small children. Mm -hmm. um, and then the, of course, the commissioner's uh, request that also came up was a little bit more uh, it requested more. So mm -hmm. it took language from that petition and then also added uh, that those materials should be kept behind the desk and only could be checked out with a parent's permission. So that's even more problematic, in my yep. opinion. Yep. 
Um, because what if, you know, God forbid the parent is the one who's forbidding that knowledge, but also causing problems in the home or doing something right. inappropriate the child right. needs to learn about. Um, so yeah, so those petitions, um, they did get a lot of signatures and, and I don't, uh, I don't, I don't know what to say there. I don't, uh, begrudge them making that effort to let their opinions be known. That's the kind of democracy and, and right. government system we live in. So by all means, share your opinions. Um, but we we also have, by evidence of the counter petition, a whole lot of people who don't agree with that. Mm -hmm. And so this is why we have principles beyond just doing what our local voters want. And I mm -hmm. know that's a little difficult to wrap our heads around sometimes because we are this library is a special district, a local government, our board is elected. And so mm -hmm. when you think elected officials, you think basically you're electing them to carry out your will, right? Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and that's how it is and how it should be in a lot of situations. But with libraries, we we have principles that we have to ascribe to. There are laws, there are uh, court findings, there are US Supreme Court rulings that that have a big impact on why we do what we do and that when we we don't do those things and we don't protect the first amendment and we don't fight against censorship that we end up working against the good of the country and right. open ourselves up for legal action as well right right and i i, I know that one of the arguments was um well well one of them was you know what what's the harm in just moving the books up right um but the harm comes from taking content and moving it anywhere other than where it belongs. Exactly. Because yeah. of the sensibilities of a group of people. Yes, and court cases have, have bore that out. That we, of course, we have these books, um, as I explained in the board meeting to our board and to the attendees there, the, the entirety of the books that are being complained about in the children's section are in the junior section, which is not the picture books. It's for the kids who are um, out of picture book level. So mm -hmm. usually, you know, eight, um, eight and above mm -hmm. get prepubescent stage. Right. And it's eight books in the 612s and 613s, tiny little books spine out. On the eight, second to lowest shelf. Eight books. Eight, eight books. books. Okay. Eight yeah. books. Yeah. And only one of which um, has anyone complained specifically about. It's called It's Perfectly Normal. But the other ones are like the period book. It's not the stork. Um, who has what? <laughs> and so it's these very simplistic <laughs> children's books yes. with drawings of nudity to help people understand. Right. Here is what an anus is here's a penis you know right. when you grow up it's going to look different that's okay right. it's very basic information right. um and they want those moved however as you said it's not about of course i don't i wouldn't care one way or the other if those were on the top shelf or the bottom shelf but we have to have very clear policies and procedures that dictate how we make that information in those books accessible and findable for the public and so our nonfiction in adult and in children's is um, organized by Dewey, Dewey mm -hmm. Decimal System, yep. right? So yep. those books are in the 613s and 612s. And the, that just by the nature of shelving and starting at the beginning and going through to the 900s, they happen to fall on 
the second to lowest shelf. And this time, two years from now, they'll probably be in a different location because we shift and we right. move books based on our collection size in each area. Right. So right. Um, we, if we were to move those to a higher shelf, then the only reason we would be doing that would be to restrict access. And there is a clear many that we can point to, but there are is one in particular very clear court precedent that says we cannot do that. We cannot do anything to restrict access to books or make them less findable or less visible to their audience solely based on their content, right? Yeah. And yeah. people are like, well, you so you can just have pornography out there? No, libraries are not, we don't have pornography. We would never have a triple X movie or, right. um, you know, uh, Playboy magazines available for checkout. We don't we don't right. have pornography by the legal definition. We have educational books and art books and um, and informational frankly, things. frankly, <laughs> some of those romance novels. Oh, they're so I racy. Mean, I'm yeah. here to tell you. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, they are. They are out there. The, and the difference is, you know, it started, there are, have been different levels of complaints throughout this whole process, honestly. And and so I've watched it evolve, starting with genderqueer back in October. This is when this all started. Wow. wow. And then it was like, uh, getting other people involved and other books became an issue. And at one point, the request from the, the smaller group that was working to do this was put every single book that has a depiction of nudity, whether drawing, photo, art, medical in its own section with everything labeled ex sexually explicit oh my and God. only 18 or older could check those oh books my out. God, so, and I, I specifically outright asked, you mean, okay, so if we have a book with the photo of the statue of David or Grey's anatomy with a, a photo of a naked body. Yes. Right. The answer was yes. Yeah. They should all go in there. Um, so oh, it was the the photos my. and uh, honestly, local police were even contact about it saying the library is peddling pornography. Um, of, of course they, you know, didn't arrest who me, so it's all good, but. <laughs> but who on earth determines that the naked body is pornographic? I mean, how does that, how does that equal each other? I I don't know. I mean, and I I think I get it with the with gender queer. This book in particular has been challenged across the country, and it's it's causing issues. This book is a graphic novel. Its intended mm -hmm. audience is older teens and mm -hmm. adults, mm -hmm. and it depicts sexual acts. Mm. Um, in the course, it's a memoir um, by a person who is transgender, talking about their journey and discovering their sexuality and. And what it means to be transgender in terms of sex acts. Mm -hmm. So it is, it does have sexual content, but the Supreme Court has been, you know, pretty clear. It's it's all kind of vague, but mm -hmm. what pornography is. And you know, the whole you know it when you see it. But in terms of legalities, it has to exist solely for the purpose of arousal, for uh, titillation. And right. we have nothing in this life. Well, actually, let me say our romance novels often do that is their right? purpose right <laughs> yes. um but even that is not considered legally pornography because it has other redeeming value it right. has um you know other purpose and reading is an, an important part of our culture so 
I, I know that it's racy content. I never argue that it's not racy. Um, certainly it is, but that doesn't make it pornography and it doesn't right. make it inappropriate for our collection. It is a an important story and it's an important message. And even if you um, are religious and, and do not believe that the LGBTQ people um, have a right to exist in the space <laughs> as they are, that... Um, even that, it's it's still an educational thing for someone to, can go and read that. And it's not pornography. It is right. a memoir so you can understand this person's life and their experience, which is always a good thing, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it is, too. I mean, you don't have to agree. Nobody nobody is mandating that you agree. Exactly. <laughs> you know, And I don't even say, like, I ve- am very purposefully... Um, vague. I don't make selections on books and and Mm -hmm. the people who make other book selections here. We don't do it, certainly not with an agenda in mind. We try to have the broadest collection as possible that represents all viewpoints so that all people have what they want to read. And, you know, you go to grad school to be a librarian. And so like one of the there's like these laws about librarianship, and there's a whole history that you learn about. And and one thing that comes up is um, one of the laws of librarianship is every book its reader, every reader its book. And it's just this reciprocal mm-hmm. idea is we mm-hmm. serve everyone. Mm-hmm. And if we have a book, it's we want it to go, we want people to read it, right? Yep. So that's, yep. that's what we're trying to do. We are yep. trying to make sure everyone has a voice and that the items that we have are being read. So yep. yeah, I don't know. It's an it's an important principle to me, or I wouldn't be in this line of work. Um, yeah, obviously, but it is becoming exhausting. And and nationally, there are a lot of stories about librarians um, being threatened, quit, fired, uh, suing, being sued. Who knew? Yeah, no, <laughs> let me I, tell you, who yeah. knew when I came into librarianship right? that it could be dangerous uh, years ago health, that right? it was going to turn into uh, this what it is now, which is a very political and fraught uh, position where I, I have to deal with very emotional people on these issues. So the board decided yes. to back the, the, your the policy and the yeah. law. Um, so yeah, their, right. their final decision was to leave things where they are, to not mm-hmm. label anything, to not move anything, mm-hmm. um, because we have policies that were very well thought out to control that. And, and to dictate how it's done. And I, I did offer them the option mm-hmm. um, to to instruct me to change the policy, but I also laid out the consequences right. of that, which they agreed with fully. So. Yeah, exactly. And I've seen screenshots of some of the death threats. Uh, there was mm-hmm. there was one about a scaffolding or Yeah, about, about building gallows. Oh, my God. And that I would think that that would be frightening to your staff. How, how are they handling it? So uh, one, uh, the, I learned about it from a staff member who mm-hmm. was pretty startled and uh, uncomfortable with it, you know, and and that may seem silly because, you know, the responses on that thread in particular were, of course, we were joking, you know, we don't mean anything. And that's fair. I understand that you didn't mean it, but we don't know you. And, no, exactly. And library, we deal with some pretty unstable people i mm-hmm. mean we we i have called the police on someone who was stabbed in the lobby of our library there was a fight that broke out and someone pulled out a knife mm. we have gone out and dealt with 
aggressive people in the parking lots who don't want to leave when they are supposed to leave. Or, right. you know, right. this is not a uh, a calm, peaceful job all the time. We no. deal with everyone in this community, good and bad, and we try to serve everyone equally. Um, and so when when those kind of conversations happen, where people offer to make gallows to deal with this issue, then um, we don't know. Uh, we can't assume, I can't assume as the director of the library that this is a joke and I don't need to take it seriously because that's not fair to my staff. So even if I can make that decision for myself, I I can't make that for someone else. So, you know, I know that at least one person said they were going to notify the police. And when I was sent the screenshot, I did as well. I said, you know, I'm not saying something is happening, Mm -hmm. but I need to document this just in case because there are stories of librarians and library staff having people in the community having grudges against them. And Mm -hmm. if it's someone unstable or particularly Mm -hmm. violent, there Mm -hmm. are librarians who have been killed in their parking lots and stabbed or attacked. Um, So, And I hesitate to bring it up, but January 6th, the gallows, they were going to hang like pence. I mean, they were serious. So that was not a joke. So why should we assume that this is a joke? And yeah. since, you know, like, I don't, I'm not from Brookings. I'm not a local. I've been here for four years. So I don't know everyone. But, you know, the people are talking about these. And so now I do know who the two main people talking were. And I, I actually do know one of them. Like, we've mm-hmm. worked together. Wow. And wow. have planned events together. I'm like, you know me. Are you, you know, Seriously. who I am. Seriously. And then, you know, the other person as well is well known by people in the system and in Gold Beach. And so it's like, that's what hurts more is the they are community people in this community and our communities who find it so easy to flippantly say these things online which is is much easier of course it's easier to be aggressive and um and like that on facebook or wherever but um but how do we move forward from this you know i mean this is this has got me a little bit concerned right how how do we reweave that caring and concern that is actually the fabric of our town how do we get beyond this hot button rhetoric and actually start communicating with each other, have real uh, discussions. I don't know. I don't know that answer. I Whenever someone is really aggressive, I try to invite them to come speak to me. Mm-hmm. Um, like, please just come talk to me face to face. It'll mm-hmm. be much more productive. Mm-hmm. It's not always productive, but at least it puts a face to the name. And, and you at you least kind of, have a chance of it being yes. productive. Because and you, you can, can forge a relationship yes. or kind of get to this place where, okay, we're, we're not going to agree on this. We may continue to fight through the the system on how to manage this, but at least we know you. I know you. You know me. Right. So we can try to be civil. And you know you can come to me and right. we can we can have another conversation. Exactly. Ask yeah. me whatever you want. I'd be happy to talk it through. Uh, but that's not always going to happen. People aren't going to come. And I, I don't know what the answer is. It's unfortunate. And I think, like we were talking earlier, it's it's – a question of our country. It's a question of this community um, and how to do that. And I hope that conversations like this, that we can uh, continue to invite people to speak to us and to have conversations. We can, we can continue to put information out there and see hopefully that that over time helps build, if, if not 
uh, agreement than at least um, peace. You know, we can right. have peace and unity amidst disagreeing uh, concepts. So I, I hope that's where we get. I don't know how to get us there. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I'm constantly thinking, okay, you know, how, how do we, how do we do this? Because mm -hmm. the, the real conversations are the only thing that ever matter, right? right. You know, yeah. they're, they're the only way that anything ever shifts is when you have a real conversation with somebody. And, you know, if you're coming from completely different vantage points, to actually just take a minute. And again, instead of reacting, take a minute, actually hear what that person's trying to say. Yes. And if if you think you've heard it, you might want to say to them, okay, what I think I heard you say was this, this, and this. Is that right? And that way, you know, you're kind of checking to make sure that you actually heard it the way they said it. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, respond. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I've thought about trying to host some sort of uh, conversation projects or community conversations mm -hmm. where we kind of get people together and discuss these difficult issues. Mm -hmm. But it's, that's a daunting thing to try to plan uh, one, for two reasons. One is typically the people that come to those things, unless it is a hot button of theirs at the moment. So unless, unless we were doing it about the um, Project Turnkey, about homelessness right. in this community, about books with alleged pornography in them at the libraries, um, that, that only the people that come are the ones that are already pretty much in line with how I believe and what we would be talking about anyway. So it's the people who already are trying to make those changes. Um, and then also if we were able to get, you know, people out to have those conversations, it, you need a skilled person to maintain the peace. And uh, I don't know what that takes or who that is that can, that can rein both sides in and mm -hmm. be that reminder to pause and, think about what you heard before reacting to it, you know, like you said, respond, not react. Right. So you can set guidelines and, you know, try to have these rules for how to, a conversation is going to go. But again, the people that are really moderator. fired yeah. uh, and the people that are really fired up about particular issues probably aren't going to come to that thing anyway. Right. You know, when the, when the goal is not anything other than let's talk about it and build um, peace. And yet it you know. seems like, shouldn't that, Shouldn't that actually be the thing we all want? <laughs> I wish. Yeah, I wish it was. And I wish I could get people to come to that sort of thing know, for sure. Uh, I know. I, was I thinking, just keep mulling it over. I know. I was thinking when I, because I was there for the for the Project Turnkey one. And um, yes. I, I remember thinking at the time, if if we could just pause, right? So So somebody gets up there and, you know, says all of the their stuff that they're saying. Okay, now stop and let's answer every one of those questions that you just asked, yes. right? Yes. Because the misinformation was astounding. Yeah. And that was a mess. That meeting I mean, I think that Mary Pat from Oasis and Diana from yeah. um Core right. got information. And, you know, afterwards they got the information they were looking for because their goal was to get uh community feedback so they knew what to write into their plan for Project Turnkey. So I was a neutral party there. Uh, um I was just the person 
introducing the speakers. And there was part of me that kind of, for a moment there, I thought about just taking control of the meeting and saying, right. hey, okay, doing that kind of saying, okay, right. everybody quiet, let's hit reset. Yep. Yep. Um, yep. But it was just, it was a fraught meeting for sure. And when you have a crowd of, you know, at least half of the people being kind of angry and yes. aggressive, then it's it's hard to take control back once things kind of get out of. Yeah. And yeah. and they did. They were kind they of spiraling out of, <laughs> out yeah. of control. And, you know, and, and really yelling at the deaf person, you know, to speak yes. up or something. I yeah. mean, come on, really? That was tough. Yeah. Or, or telling her to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. All right, community, you're a little <laughs> bit out there. <laughs> okay, whatever. Uh, yeah, I know, I know. Well, we are just about out of time, Julie. Um, this seems to happen every time I have a conversation with someone. <laughs> Goes fast. I yeah. know. Do you have any last minute thoughts for people? Some words of wisdom. Oh, take a minute I, and chill, people. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I think. I want to, I wish I could convey my heart about this to everyone mm -hmm. and there aren't the words to do it. You know, yep. I just feel very strongly about the first amendment. And I think, you know, I think it was Robert Gardner who was in the audience at the board mm -hmm. meeting who kind of made the equation to the second amend amendment. Yes. Yes. You know, these are two constitutional amendments that um, are, that bring out the best and the worst in a lot of people, yep. you know? So in as much as you want to protect your second amendment rights, I want to protect our first amendment rights. And that does result in things not always being exactly what you want them to be, but yep. it's, it's such an important part of our, our democracy about growing children and adults who can think for yes. themselves, who can evaluate information that's being put in front of them and make their own choices. And I would just encourage parents to walk their children through that. If you live by a certain philosophy, teach them that philosophy and show them how to consume information safely um, for them and for and and for your household. And try to so, be critical things. Yes. And Just come try. come talk to me. Just come yeah, to the library. <laughs> I will show you whatever you want and I will talk to you about whatever you want. Um, that's why I'm here. Well, Julie, thank you so much for coming on the show. And really, thank you for your commitment and your dedication to our beautiful community. Thank and you for having me. Stay safe. And if somebody comes at you with a scaffold, you call me. I <laughs> will do. I'll be right there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and thank you for listening. My guest today has been Julie Rutherford, Director of the Chetco Community Public Library. You can download the podcast of this show and all my other recent interviews on our website, kciw.org. And while you're there, please support your community radio station. We're a nonprofit and depend on the generosity of our donors to stay on the air. I'm Candace Michelle, and this is our community.